0: You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. It's not about religion. It's about a
1: relationship. Having referred to his teaching and then to his travail in prayer for them, he next references his trouble. He says in verse 20, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I stand in doubt about you. Now, he's not pulling any punches, is he, church? He's not being politically correct, is he? He said, I'm I'm in doubt about you, kiddos.
0: In our world today, many people are turned off from religion simply because of the idea of rules. It's a common misconception that going to church and trusting in Jesus means that your autonomy will be lost. Today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that this couldn't be further from the truth. Surrendering your heart to Jesus will only serve to liberate you from the pain of this world. Entering into God's family won't be a new laundry list of rules, but instead will give you a newfound sense of peace. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 4 as he begins his message, The Bondwoman and the Free Woman.
1: Now, last time we saw Paul appealing to the conscience and love of the Galatians toward him. He has appealed to his history with them, referencing that they would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to him. I can't think of anybody I would do that for. Hopefully Jesus. But what a thing to say. That's how much they love this man. Their apostle, their teacher. But now the apostle Paul turns his attention to those that would lure them back into bondage to Old Testament law and rules. Nothing made Paul matter with righteous anger, then somebody would come along and muddy up the waters of the message of grace and lure people away who had been saved through grace by faith back into the Old Testament law, as if they could save themselves. So Galatians is all about Paul led these people to Christ, then he left, and in his absence, in came the wolves. They always come in when the strong man is gone. They always come in when there's a vulnerability. Satan doesn't fight fair, never. So when they were vulnerable and the apostle was gone, then here comes the wolves. And the wolves were the Judaizers. The Judaizers were teaching them that they need to go back to Old Testament law and mix that with New Testament grace. And he was luring them away from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. The simplicity is I'm saved By faith, through grace, not of myself, lest I should boast that I did it, but it's a gift of God, period. We receive salvation as a gift. Now, in verse 17, he talks about these people. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but not for anything good. It's for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. So they were playing the divide and conquer game. Demonize Paul and lure the people away from him who he had apostled and brought into the faith and attach them to them instead. It was a psychological trip they were pulling on them. The expression zealous to win you over is from the the word zelao, And it also comes from a word meaning to boil. It carries the idea of courting someone. It can be good or bad, depending on the context. And in a good sense, it can mean to desire earnestly. You find that in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Or it can be used in a bad sense. It can mean to envy uh, or to be jealous, to boil. Zelao, to boil. I think probably zeal comes from that word, to boil. Well, what were they doing? They were causing, uh, uh, they were jealous over the affection the people had for Paul. So they're trying to lure them away and attach them to them, the false teachers. Now, a person can boil with godly zeal or boil in the misery of jealousy. And how many of you know jealousy is misery? There's no more tormenting emotion than jealousy. It just eats you up alive. So the motives of the Judaizers were evil. They weren't good. They didn't have these people's good in mind. They were courting the Galatians and seeking to win them over to their views for their own ends, not because they loved them. Anybody ever realize just because somebody says they love you, they may not. Because everybody wants to hear those words, don't they? But Paul really did love them. And they really did love Paul. Now Paul had come to evangelize. These folks came to proselytize. Big difference. Paul contends that he was out for their good. And he mentions his teaching to them. Uh, he says in verse 18 of chapter four Galatians, it is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. Zeal is great as long as you're zealous over something that's worth being zealous over. But there's people that are zealous for things that are evil, and they have zeal about it. Look at these terrorists who have zeal over uh, jihad and Islam, and they go murder and slaughter and terrorize, and they're filled with zeal, but it's not over a good thing. But it's good to have red hot, boiling zeal over a good thing, and I wish that everybody in here was red, fervent, hot with zeal for Christ, because that's a good thing. How many of you can say I'm I'm pretty hot for Christ? Amen? Rest of you, you're not. You're just looking at me? Come on. How many of you are hot with zeal? You got me concerned over there. All right. Paul saw straight through the legalizers. They wanted to come between Paul and the Galatians, they wanted to drive a wedge between Paul and the Galatian church. So, this is always Satan's M.O., isn't it? Divide and conquer is hell's motto. He'll do it in your marriage. He'll do it between you and your children. He'll do it between you and church folks. He'll do it between you and church leadership. Any way that he can get in and drive a wedge and separate because he knows as long as we're unified, we win. But if if the unity is broken, he's able to move in and conquer. We fight for unity here. We fight for unity among the staff. We fight for it because we know if that unity is broken, there is a doorway for the enemy to come in and wreak havoc. So we forgive and we forgive quickly. We don't hold grudges. We don't nurse offenses. We let it go because we know what the devil will do. Paul said we are not ignorant of his devices. If, if there's a wedge between you and a brother or a sister or a family member or a spouse... God didn't do that. It is Satan's reigning philosophy. Drive a wedge, separate, conquer. God's is remove the barrier, bring together and bring unity and conquer. Paul informs them, it's great to be zealous, great to boil, to be fervent over a good thing. And that good thing was the gospel of grace, not the abysmal return to Old Testament Judaism. Or folks, for our sake, the return to anything that's not of God. They were worried about Judaism. But all of us have a past that we don't ever need to go back to. Living in that sin, whatever it was we were in, never need to go back. Those idols are gone. The sea is closed behind us. The enemy has been defeated by the cross and the blood. We have been redeemed. We're on our way to the promised land. We can't go back. So it's the same idea that it was with these Galatians and, and Judaism. We can't go back, shouldn't go back. There's nothing back there. Try it. You won't like it. Going from Paul's teaching, he now moves on to his travail. He moves to his travail. My dear children, I love this verse. Listen to his heart. This this man, I know I'm a broken record here, but I got to say it again. I don't worship Paul, not not even remotely. But I am so moved by this great apostle's heart. The more I study Paul, and I've, I've had to because I'm teaching these books he wrote, he wrote a few, you know, two-thirds of the New Testament. He used to be a persecutor, murdered, threatened, divided, imprisoned believers, and then God, Jesus, knocked him to the ground, revealed himself to him, saved him, called him, and now this once horrible persecutor of the church, is the church's greatest blessing. And I hear his heart. Look at the way he's talking about the people he used to persecute. Can we read out loud together, just the first three words? My dear children. His voice used to terrify them. But listen to him now. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until what, everyone? Read it with me. Christ is formed in you. You want to know what God's will is for you? It's right there. It's right there. That's it. I mean, that's the ultimate. That is the goal to which God makes everything, for which and toward which God makes everything work. For your good. That Christ is formed in you. You're carrying a baby, I'm carrying a baby, figuratively speaking. Figuratively speaking. Jesus has been born in us and he is being formed in us. So that this time next year, we ought to be stronger in love, stronger in joy, stronger in peace, greater in long suffering, more gentle, more meek, more kind, have stronger faith because Christ is being formed in us. And Paul said, I'm in labor pain spiritually until this happens in you. Now, let me ask you a question. Has the will of God changed since then? No. So what's God's will for everyone in this room and everybody listening by radio? What what is God's will? It is Christ is formed in us. Now, we're about to get into Galatians where it's really, really, not that it hadn't all been good, but we're gonna look at the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh. And we're gonna see how, how by the Holy Ghost, the apostle is gonna show us what Jesus looks like when he's formed in us and what it looks like if the flesh is formed in us. He says, I'm in childbirth. I'm having birth pangs. I'm having some agony until Christ is formed in you. The gospel is not just a set of precepts to be believed. It's not a book of rules and regulations, the gospel. It is a person to be received. Christ formed in you. Law is vastly inferior to grace. You're a product of grace tonight. And guess what? Good news, God didn't finish with you yet. Or with me. And the same spirit that moved on Paul and put him in, in birth pangs kind of agony until Christ was born in those Galatians, the same spirit is praying for you and me that that is done And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. And what is he praying? That Christ would be formed in you and me. You don't measure a person's spirituality by how fast they talk in tongues or how much money they have or how many people are healed when they pray for them. That is not the measure of a person's spiritual maturity. You know what the measure is? How much has Christ been formed in them? Quiet tonight. Quiet. What about somebody with great faith? I've known people with great faith that were squalling babies spiritually, still messing their diapers. The law says do. Grace says done. Law says try. Grace says trust. Law says it's up to you. Grace says it's up to him. Good stuff now. Now watch this. Law takes us to Mount Sinai weekly, yearly. Hence Paul's travail us to Mount Calvary. Grace provides not only for the believer to become a child of God, and I love this next part, but also for the child of God to become a man of God or a woman of God. Oh, till Christ is formed in you, turning point, and me, daily, hourly, weekly, yearly. Hence, Paul's travail that Christ be formed in you. Paul stands at the path of their departure from grace by the bad influence of these Judaizers, and he cries, stop, wrong way, turn back. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship having referred to his teaching and then to his travail in prayer for them, he next references his trouble. He says in verse 20, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I stand in doubt about you. Now he's not pulling any punches, is he, church? He's not being politically correct, is he? He said, I'm I'm in doubt about you, kiddos. I'm worried about you. The tone of Paul's letter to the Galatians was severe and uncompromising and full of threats and full of thunder. He did not hold back and thank God that he didn't. He told the truth. He stood before them, waving his hands vigorously as the train of their faith raced towards a collapsed bridge. He would rather change his tone and be gentle But he couldn't because they wouldn't hear him. So he had to be strong. You know, there's some people you can just say, don't, and they'll stop. Other people, you can stand in their face and scream, don't, and they still don't stop. You gave birth to some of them, right? (laughs) He says, I I wish I could be gentle, but I can't because you won't hear me. So I'm going to have to be tough. I'm going to have to be real. I'm going to have to be harsh and tell you the way it is. Paul was extremely resourceful in his choice of options, in how to reach communicatively that, that strange church. <clears throat> so having used warnings and threats and sarcasm and logic and appeal, he next takes them to Sinai, where the law was given to Moses, and to Calvary, where grace flowed from the cross. Now he says in verse 21: Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? He said, do you know what you're really wanting to do? Let me illuminate you. He says, very well, you believe you know the word of God, yet you can't discern between law and grace. Do you think you know the word, but you can't even tell the difference between law and grace? In other words, you're not as smart as you think. You're not as wise as you think. Let me give you an illustration, he says, of what you're doing out of Old Testament history. Now, the apostle next uses an allegory to make his point. Now, here's an allegory. Here's what it is. In an allegory, the various entities that make up the story, whether imaginary or historical, stand for something else beyond the actual story itself. We might use the word metaphor. Uh, It's metaphorical, allegorical, or metaphorical. When you use one thing to symbolize another. Now, he's about to use an allegory or a metaphor people used in the allegory or the metaphor are gonna stand for an idea or a concept. So he draws their attention to Abraham's two sons and their mamas. In verse 22, he says, it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by what kind of a woman? The bond woman. And the other by a free woman. So here he goes using the allegory, the bond woman and the free woman. So Paul fully believed that God's hand was on the details of Abraham's life providentially. That Abraham up to the marriage of Isaac would have two wives and only one son by each was no accident in Paul's mind. He said they both have meaning. Now he's not saying that God made Abraham make the mistake he made, but he is saying that God Providentially oversaw it and used it for his glory, and so it's significant. The two sons represent two realities. So, Paul points out next in verse 23 he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, and he of the free woman was born through promise, and that was Isaac. Now, the first son, Ishmael, represents the flesh. The birth of Ishmael involved nothing of faith. Matter of fact, it involved doubt. They were getting older and they were getting uptight about God's plan for their life. And they said, I think God doesn't realize how old we are. How many of you have ever said, I don't think God sees my situation. Come on. I don't think he he gets it. So we go into prayer and we spend a whole hour telling God what he already knows. He's Abraham and and Sarah got uptight. I mean, you know, he said, I'm gonna get really old and you're 10 years behind me, woman, and, but you're old too. And so apparently God's not gonna come through. So we're gonna have to make his will happen in the strength of our own will and our own flesh. Big mistake-o. Big mistake. You make most of your mistakes when you think God's late. You make most of your mistakes when you think God is late and doesn't see your situation and you're looking at your watch and you're looking in the mirror and you're looking at circumstances and you're going, uh-oh, God doesn't get it or something's wrong between me and him. So I'm going to make it happen to myself. And when you do, you are crossing over into the Ishmael zone because you're going to hatch an Ishmael. You're going to give birth to an Ishmael. And we're going to see in a minute what happens when you do that. The birth of Ishmael involved nothing of faith. He was the product of fleshly activity, worldly policy, and doubt. Ishmael was produced in the energy of the flesh and man's will. It's easy to birth an Ishmael. Guess what? Our churches are full of them. There are whole churches that are Ishmael's. They weren't birthed out of the will of God. They are birthed out of the strength of the flesh. Presumption. I want a church. Only problem is when you create an Ishmael by the strength of the flesh, you got to keep Ishmael alive by the strength of the flesh. And you've got to keep him going at the strength of the flesh. And when it's an Ishmael, he never ultimately brings glory to God. And he doesn't help you much either. Our churches are full of them. How many of you, now I'll tell you first, I've done it. I've had some Ishmaels. What about you? The rest of you, hang on, you'll do one sooner or later. No, I'm not going to speak that over you. You may not. But our churches are full of ishmaels things that that we decided we wanted and we made them happen, and God's just in the background somewhere, and he didn't really birth it. Now, the birth of the second son, Isaac, was supernatural. Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90. That's supernatural. Abraham believed God the Bible says, and God wrought the miracle. Isaac was born of faith and was the child of promise. And that's what you want in your life. You want Isaacs and not Ishmaels. You want what faith produces, not what your flesh produces. You want want that which is going to propel you towards your goal and your vision, not that which is going to hinder you and drag you back. Now, The apostle brings the allegory to its main point. Let's look at what it was. Verses 24 to 25, he says, Which things are in allegory? So he uses the word himself. For these two women are the two covenants. That's what they stood for. That's the metaphor. These two women, Hagar and Sarah, are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to or compares to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. For Paul, Hagar represents legalism, the flesh, the will of man, not faith, not God, not victory, but defeat and flesh and man's will. That which is born and empowered of the flesh is what Hagar represents. Because Sarah said, Abraham, go to Hagar, go into her tent and produce a child because God has clearly forgotten us. He said, yes, man. And he did. Here comes Ishmael. And Hagar symbolizes Mount Sinai where the Mosaic covenant was given. And the writer of Hebrews I want you to notice how the writer of Hebrews describes Mount Sinai and the giving of the law. It's really something, it's scary.
0: When's the last time you truly experience joy in your life? Even if you consider yourself a happy person, have you ever truly experienced joy in the fullest sense? Today, Pastor Jeff taught that there's a huge difference between happiness and joy. It's easy to experience happiness in our lives but many of us forget what it feels like to experience joy. Joy is not just a moment that passes by, but instead joy is something that's inside of us. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We're so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to GIVE. Here's Daniel one more time with a sneak peek about the next edition. Through social media, television, and the radio, there are endless ways for us to quickly hear amazing messages. It's a wonderful thing to find a pastor that you love to hear, But do you make sure to check through the Bible that the message has sound biblical truths? Next time, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that you need to be steeped in God's Word and hold any messages taught to its standard. Don't compromise on what's true just because it sounds good. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Galatians next time on Hardwired.